0: Take God's Word in your hands and turn to the book of Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 for the next three weeks as we kind of bring to uh, finality uh, our series that we've entitled Invisible War. uh, A sermon series focused in on the subject matter uh, of spiritual warfare. And if you've been with us this summer, uh, we have devoted uh, the entirety of our summer looking at this subject matter. We began Uh, earlier this summer, and I know it's gone fast for many of us, uh, but uh, we started by making you aware and alert uh, to the war that's going on. We're going to address a little bit more of that this morning, but that was the beginning part, to be aware of the war that's going on uh, around us uh, and the, the effect it can have not only on our spiritual lives, but the lives that we live in the world in the here and now. Then we pivoted to uh, looking at our adversaries, looking at who the enemy is. And we looked at three enemies uh, for three different weeks, where we looked at the devil, uh, the world system and thinking, and then the flesh. And we talked about uh, the impact that each of those enemies have on our lives, how they operate, uh, what they desire to do, and, uh, and as a result of that, how we need to fight against each of those. And then uh, over the last three weeks, we've spent time looking at our allies, uh, allies like the Holy Spirit, the church, and Um, and then angels, and uh, talking about how they can help us in our time of need, how they can come to uh, our rescue uh, when temptation and evil uh, come uh, in our direction. And uh, this last three weeks, we're going to focus in on the subject matter of the armor of God. Looking at Ephesians 6, we're going to learn what God has given us in the way of weaponry to be able to uh, stand strong amidst the troubled times uh, that we find ourselves facing. And uh, with all of that behind us, we come to Ephesians chapter 6, and the Apostle Paul, who's the writer uh, of that uh, book, writes to a church, and the last thing that he wants to talk about in this six-chapter letter that he's written is the subject of spiritual warfare in the life and times of the Ephesian church, and not much has changed. And, and I want you to notice this morning the fact that when Paul speaks, and this is by far uh, the largest portion of Scripture designated or uh, dedicated to spiritual warfare, that you're not going to see crazy things. A lot of things that we read about in Christian literature, a lot of things we hear about in so-called Christian television and radio programs, uh, of the fanatical things that we need to do, uh, of calling out demons and and, uh, having exorcisms and all that, in the largest single portion of the Scriptures dedicated to the subject of spiritual warfare if, this was, if, if Paul was going to talk about those types of things, this is where he would have done it. And I want you to notice, quite frankly, how boring Paul's advice to us is. It's not flashy. It's not eccentric. It's straightforward. And I want you to recognize this morning that everything that Paul says to us about how we can put on the full armor of God... How we can stand strong amidst demonic activity is something, listen, it is something that each and every one of us can begin to do today. There's nowhere in the passage that it says you have to be a spiritual elite, doesn't say that you have to hold some level of apostleship. What he is going to say to us is good for all of us, both young and old, men and women alike. And so with this before us, we want to look at the treasures that Paul has laid before us, those treasures that we're going to need in our hour of need. So I'm going to ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word. If you haven't gotten to Ephesians chapter 6, grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you. You can find our passage on page 979. Page 979. We're going to look at the first three verses, verses 10, 11, and 12. Here's what Paul says. Uh, to the church of Ephesus and to Village Bible Church today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places let's pray father god my prayer is, is simple this morning i pray that in light of the words we've just read we would take them seriously it is easy for us to sit in air-conditioned rooms with cushioned seats wearing comfortable clothes driving nice cars, living in, in, in well-established homes, in a country of peace, to take these words and say for another person, for another time, for another place. But Lord, I pray this morning that we would hear these words and recognize these words are for us as much as they are for our brothers and sisters who are fleeing for their lives for the sake of the cross. And that we would recognize while battles find themselves in different ways, that even in the subtlety of the war that's going on here, we would recognize it and see it so we could protect ourselves, our families, our church, and we might be a part of the rescue efforts of reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Lord, make us take this seriously. Lord, whatever sleep we have in our, in our eyes, whatever distractions we have, Lord, I pray that you would push them away so we could hear your word uh, this morning. I pray that you would speak through me in a powerful way. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. December 7th, 1941. The surprise was completely... Uh, was complete. The attacking planes came in two waves. The first hit its target at 7.53 a.m., the second at 8.55. By 9.55, everything was over. By 1.00 p.m., the carriers that launched the plane from 274 miles off the coast of Hawaii were now heading back to Japan. Behind those planes Was utter chaos two thousand four hundred and three people dead 188 planes destroyed a crippled united states pacific fleet now with eight damaged or destroyed battleships in one stroke of absolute military genius the japanese silenced the debate that had divided americans in that time of whether or not they were a part of a war in approximately three hours japanese planes began a day-long attack on american facilities not only in hawaii but on the day that president roosevelt would say would be a day that would live in infamy american facilities in the philippines would be attacked Farther to the west, we would learn that Japan's army would strike against Hong Kong, Malaysia, and Thailand in what was the single largest coordinated attempt to surprise their enemy who was asleep at the wheel. The damage that was afflicted on our country was largely to blame for a sleeping nation who was seemingly asleep during a time of war. While we read these headlines and while we knew that war during those days was going on, every day in the headlines we would hear of Hitler's uh, movements and how Europe was being decimated. While we heard that Japan was attacking the eastern uh, or the western front of Russia and also in China. For some reason, we as Americans thought we were immune to the Great War. Many Americans never imagined that a war, maybe because of the oceans that surround us, we never thought that war would come to our doorstep. But on uh, December 7th, 1941, that war came to our doorstep. And it came, and we didn't even know it was coming. And we would pay dearly for that costly mistake. Well, that's history. But I would say that history repeats itself and it is this morning by many Christians today. Oh, we hear in the headlines that Christian persecution is on the rise. We hear in the headlines that being a Christian is difficult even in this great country that we live in. We hear our friends and our family members talking about how the devil is wreaking havoc in their lives but for some reason, we find ourselves asleep We find ourselves unwilling to recognize that we this morning, all of us, if you have the name of Christ as your banner this morning, you're in a war. The enemy is conspiring. The enemy is planning how they're going to attack. Japanese historians tell us that the invasion of Pearl Harbor was in the plans of the generals, listen to me, 18 months in advance. They were dreaming up what they were going to do long before we ever thought a war would be a reality. And I want to remind you this morning that you have an enemy. We all have an enemy who is conspiring, who is planning. And while you and I sit in our seeming peace, the enemy is looking for the right time, the right opportunity, and the right way to attack. Now, really many of us assume this attack will never come. Can I remind you that of the two major attacks that have happened in the last hundred years on American soil, both of them came as a surprise. I speak of Uh, the issue that took place, the invasion of of the uh, uh, Japanese at Pearl Harbor and the attack on our World Trade Center and also in Washington on 9-11. Enemies never attack when you expect it. They attack when you least expect it. And so this morning we come and we read the words of the loving Apostle Paul. He loves the church at Ephesus, and he's about to wrap up this book that he's written so magnificently under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on myriads of topics. All of them needed within the church and the Christian life. And, and he finishes, and we'll get to this more in a moment, but he finishes with the subject of spiritual warfare. And he does so because he loves his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I want you to know this morning that that the elders, first of all, love you as a people. We love you, and one of the ways that we want to show you our love is by helping you to be ready for this call to arms, to be ready for the attacks that come by the devil. I know some of you wonder, you know, what's with all this announcements all the time you're announcing these different ministries and all of that what what's the reason for it i want you to recognize behind every one of the slides in the in the on the screen and every one of those things uh little boxes in the bulletin is a loving response by your leadership to help you in different ways to be ready for the war that you find yourselves in I want to help you with that. A couple of weeks ago, a group of our elders and staff led a group of 20 people through a, a workshop, really just a, a conversation on how to protect ourselves from the enemy's attacks with regards to technology. Now, some of you say, I miss that. I want to be a part of that. There's going to be another one coming. But, but what the elders wanted to do is, first of all, make us aware of what was going on. I want you to know, first and foremost this morning, especially if you're a parent, there's a war going on, and it's happening with phones and computers, and most importantly, the internet. One of the greatest blessings that has been a part of our time, listen, the devil says, God has created it for our good, he's allowed it to be created so that we can communicate the gospel in greater ways, and and what does the devil say? The devil says, this is how I'm going to pray on children. This is how I'm going to uh, win the battle uh, against lust. This is how I'm going to uh, ruin people's lives. And so the elders, in hearing some of the concerns that parents had, we we create ministries so that we can help one another, so that we can be the allies of one another to communicate the the struggles we're having and, and the ways of victory. And so I want you to remember that ministry isn't, number one, so that the pastors look good. Ministry isn't so we can just bring money into the church. Ministry, at its its very base level, is, is to help the people of God be equipped. And so right now in Sunday school class, we're equipping young soldiers who maybe aren't fighting the battle right now, but who study and memorize the Word of God. Why? So in later days, they may not sin against their God. We gather together in this setting, and, and we sit and we listen, not so that Tim can talk and, and pontificate. I hope that's not what you think but that, so we can be equipped, so we can leave this place, being a little more ready for the attack uh, that is to come. That's what concerns me most about churches that preach light and, and fluffy messages. Oh, they're easy to consume. I get it. It's like eating a candy bar. You can eat tons of those, right? They're smooth going down. But, but a light and fluffy sermon, listen to me, isn't going to help you an ounce when the devil attacks. And so we want to make sure that in our preaching and in our teaching and in our activities, we're constantly reminding ourselves that while we're having a good time, while we're enjoying the blessings God has given, let us be reminded that there's an enemy around and he's going to strike when we least expect it. So we need to be ready at all times. So what does Paul say? Paul addresses in Ephesians chapter 6 three commands he gives to his people that he gives to us today, and I'm going to work through these relatively quickly this morning. The first one, be strong. Be strong. What better words for people who are in the battle? You see, there's no reason to be strong when you're on vacation. There's no need to be alert when you're on a holiday. But when you're in a war, what Paul is saying is, is that you and I need to have the mindset and the heart of a soldier. Ruth Paxson wrote it this way. She said, God has no place for a spiritual pacifist. Every Christian is drafted for both defensive and aggressive warfare. He calls every saint to arms, not into a religious playground or a sports field, but listen to how she explains it, but it is into a grim, terrible, Bloody conflict of which Christians are called. So it is no wonder, based on that analogy or that picture, that Paul begins with such words. Now let's look at the words a little closer. What does it mean when he says, in verse 10, finally, be strong? We live in a generation where the phrase live strong became commonplace. This phrase, live strong, had to do with the fighting against uh, cancer and other difficult diseases, and what this phrase meant to our society was that you needed to dig deep within yourself to garner the inner strength that would enable you to fight against the enemy of cancer in your life. And so you need to muster up all the strength that you can find both outwardly and inwardly to fight the battle of cancer that was being waged against you. Well, long before Lance Armstrong and long before the bracelets, Paul was the one who had the copyright license on this term. Paul is saying very much the same thing, but he says it in a different way. What Paul says is there's a battle going on, and you cannot win this battle as some casual civilian. But what it's going to mean is you're going to have to dig deep within you. But I want you to notice what it means to dig deep. First of all, this digging deep and the strength that you're going to need is going to need to be a priority, it's going to need to be a priority. Now, we quickly move past words in the scripture, but I don't want to move too quickly at the beginning of verse 10 without addressing the word finally. That word doesn't seem to be all that important, but this concept of finally, Paul is bringing to resolution all that he has shared in Ephesians, and he comes to uh, this issue of spiritual warfare, and he says, hey, before I close this book, before I end this letter, I want to remind you of something of great importance. Well, why is it a priority? Paul says that because of all that we've learned in the book or letter of Ephesians, because we have a place in Jesus Christ, because of all that he's given us in the Christian walk, we need to be those who are ready for the battle. So what has he said in Ephesians? In light of what God has done for you, in light of the glorious standing you have as a child of God, in light of his great plan of all ages that God has made you and I a part of, in light of his plan and his word that allows Christian maturity and growth to take place in our lives, in light of the conduct that God has called each and every one of us to live on a daily basis, in light of the filling of God's spirit into our lives and the ability to walk in that spirit, in all light of all of these truths, remember the reason why God has given you all of this isn't so you can just sit back and be fat and lazy, but he's given us all this, not because he wants us to be able to say, look how blessed I am. The reason he's given us all that Ephesians has said to us is because there's a war going on. And you're gonna need every bit of that within you that God has given you to be able to be ready to fight the battle. And so what Paul says is, here's my analysis on life. Life is a struggle, life is conflict, life is like warfare. Happy Sunday morning to you. And so Paul blows the trumpet and he calls every Christian into active duty. And he says your job is to respond courageously, because you have been armed with everything you need to live a righteous and godly life. I would be remiss not to remind you that the victory has already been won. It's been won by Christ through Calvary and the empty tomb. Our goal, therefore, is to live and learn and walk and even war in light of that truth. We fight from a place of victory, not defeats. Why else might he bring this up? I want you to notice as well that we are to be strong because if we're not, listen, you'll be a casualty of war. If you are not ready for this fight, you will lose it. Unless you seek and pursue the strength that is needed, Paul says you're going to be in trouble. He's going to talk here, and we're going to learn next week more than this week. We're going to learn about the armor of God, the weapons God gives. And, and a lot of people say, just give me the weapons. Give me the weapons. Don't worry about verses 10 through 12. Let's get to verse 13. Give me the tools, and I'll be fine. Well, I want you to recognize this morning that the army doesn't work that way, does it? When, when we're drafted or when we're enlisted into the army, the army doesn't just hand you a gun and, and grab you a helmet and, and the bulletproof vests and all the gear and say, all right, you're on your own. No, they do basic training. And, and those weeks of basic training are to help you to think like a soldier, to act like a soldier, to recognize that at all times on the battlefield, you are at war. There's no letting your guard down. So before a soldier is given a gun or shown how to fire a missile, he has to go through that basic training. The building up of one's strength so that the person, that soldier, may be able to use the weapons that they have in the right way. Where do we get this strength? Notice it needs to be a priority, there's a war going on. Number two, the strength is found in one place. You see, unlike Lance Armstrong and the Live Strong movement, We don't muster this strength from ourselves. Notice in the text, it says, finally, be strong in you? No. Be strong in others? No. It says, be strong in the Lord. This phrase, be strong, listen, is found in the passive voice. What what it means is it's not your strength. So you can't get it on your own. You can't go to Walmart and go to the strong section of Walmart and and purchase a big box of it. You can't take it from someone else. It's not transferable. Our own strength won't cut it. We need someone else's strength. And that strength that we can have only comes from God. That means that we have to fight this battle not on our terms, but God's. In the coming months, we're going to be studying the book of 1 Samuel as a church. And one of the great stories of 1 Samuel is the story of, uh, of David and Goliath. And in David and Goliath, there's a great contrast that happens, one that we don't hear about very often because we just fast forward to David fighting Goliath. But before David fights Goliath, remember, nobody wants to fight Goliath. And King Saul, who's the king, uh, is leading badly his people. He himself is afraid of this great Philistine giant. And, and what takes place is, is David comes after, after shepherding his father's flock and delivering some food and provisions to his brother, he sees Goliath and David says, hey, I'll take this guy out. He's bad-mouthing the people in the name of our God. I'll deal with this. And Saul says, all right, I'll let you do it but I'm going to put all the armor. I'm going to give you all that you need from a human perspective to defeat this giant. And David says, I can't move in this stuff. It's too heavy. It's too cumbersome. No, I don't need your human weaponry. I just need God on my side. You see, Saul wanted to fight a battle through human ways. David recognized that if he was going to be victorious against a greater foe, he was going to need God on his side. You see, what Paul is saying is, is that we cannot fight this spiritual battle on our terms. We have to fight it using God's means. Literally, what this phrase means is "to be strong in the Lord." Literally is "God, I yield all my strength to you so that in order you might be able to empower me. I remove all of myself out of the, the mix. So that you will have a empty vessel to fill me up so that I might be victorious. Some of us right now, quite frankly, are trying to fight temptation, trying to fight sin, and I know what you're saying, I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't change it. I fail all the time. I get up in the morning and say, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to make sure that I build up enough willpower to say no to that temptation or that certain thing that the devil seems to be wreaking havoc in my life with. And then by midday or maybe afternoon, you're down in the dumps because you've already fallen. What God is saying is not try harder, fail, try harder, fail idea. It is this idea that when we are struggling in a spiritual battle, we need to recognize that we in our own selves will never be equal to the task. We need God. And we need God not in small measure, but God in full measure. And that means we're gonna have to give the Spirit's control of who we are and all of our lives. Why? Because it requires a certain or unique power Notice it says that we are to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. The only way you and I will win the battle is that we connect with the one who's already won it. What it means is that apart from Christ, you and I will never touch victory. We will never taste victory, let alone possess it. That means we gotta get as close to Jesus and we have to identify in his victory over the grave. That's why Paul says, "I, I wanna partake in Christ's sufferings and, and his victories. I want to be a part of all that Christ is, the good, the bad, and ugly of, of Christ's life, the hard parts of Christ's life and, and the glorious parts of Christ's life. I want all of it because the closer I get to Jesus, the more victorious I will be. The more involved I am with Jesus, the more victory I'm going to taste than defeats. Remember, this strength that God gives is a grace. You can't get it on your own. You can't do it. It, God doesn't give it as a result of you just being an overall good guy or good gal. But it's something that's given. And the question this morning is, are you utilizing the provision that God has given? Yesterday, uh, my catering company had the opportunity to, to cater for a country music singer, and we were given backstage passes. We were given little uh, cards that said we could be where a lot of people couldn't be. And and when you walked in and out of, of the area, there were a lot of fans that wanted to be you, okay? It doesn't happen very often for me, so I'm just just enjoying that for a moment. But here's the thing. While I was given a provision to experience something that many others couldn't, I could have made the choice not to use it. I could have sat back and said, I'm not going to go back there. I'm not going to utilize all that those passes enable me to be a part of. I'm going to sit back and, and just be like the rest of everyone else. Just like that, Christ says, I have given you provision. Here's the ticket. Here is your ability to be victorious. But here's the thing, Christ will not force you to do it. And so some of you right now, you're saying, I'm a child of God, and, and, and as a child of God, I find myself still struggling in sin. That doesn't make any sense. I thought if you were a believer, everything was supposed to be great and wonderful, and it's not happening. It's Jesus's fault. That would be like me looking at my VIP pass and saying, something's wrong with you as I choose to stay out of the VIP section. It's not the pass's fault. It's not Jesus's fault. It's our own. Because we have at our disposal all that we need to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, amen? Here's the problem. You and I don't use it. Those tickets go unused. But we bellyache, we cry, we moan about our languishing loss upon languishing loss and we point to God and say, your word's not good enough. Your spirit isn't powerful enough and this protection you promised me, it ain't making it, it ain't cutting it and you are pointing the finger at the wrong person. God is offering to every one of us what we need for this battle. The question is, will you take it up and use it as your weaponry of war? Good thoughts to think through. Paul moves on though and he tells us number two is we need to be submissive. We need to be submissive. Verse 11, put on, second command he gives, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I don't want to spend a lot of time here. I'm going to move very quickly through it, because next week we're going to address all of this issue of the armor of God. And so I'm going to leave it for next week and not preach next week's sermon today, but a couple observations in anticipation. First of all, when it says to put on, we need to recognize that we need to do what we're told. If you call yourself a child of God this morning, your commanding general has given you an order, and he has told you to put your gear on. The armor of God is something God demands his people to wear. Not a suggestion. It's a demand. It's a command. But herein lies the problem. What we're going to learn is that the armor of God cramps our style. You see, the armor of God causes us to live differently. The armor of God isn't going to let us sit by and and consume the, the mindless entertainment that we see as funny or dramatic. The armor of God isn't going to allow us to engage in frivolous activities and and sinful desires. The, the, The armor of God isn't going to allow that. The armor of God isn't going to allow us to laugh at the jokes at work that are seemingly off color and unbecoming of a believer. The armor of God isn't going to let us talk and let any word come out of our mouth. The armor of God is not going to allow us to observe all that we want on the internet. The armor of God is not going to allow us to treat our spouses with impunity. The armor of God is not going to allow us to be selfish. The armor of God is not going to allow us to not care for those around us. The armor of God isn't going to allow us to have racist thoughts. The armor of God isn't going to let us do certain things, and that is the very reason why many of us don't wear this armor. It cramps our style. Our unbelieving friends are going to see us wearing this armor, and they're going to say, what are you doing? Are you heading off to medieval times? I mean, what's going on? That's not what the cool kids wear. And so what we begin to do is piece by piece, we take off that armor. And in taking it off, we say to the world and we say to our God and we say to the enemy, there's no war. Oh, I hear it in far off play. Maybe you need the armor in the Middle East, but not here. You see, we take off the armor of God because we don't want to look Awkward in this world but Paul says it's a command you got to do it even if you don't feel like it I remember watching I love war movies and and the lessons that are taught and I remember in a Vietnam movie that I was watching once Uh, They were young G.I.s. They had just gotten out of basic training, and and they were in, of course, the Southeast Asian jungle of Vietnam, and and they're crying to one of their superior officers saying how hot it is and how uncomfortable it is and how the mosquitoes are are, are biting at them in in greater measure than they had ever seen before. And I remember the the superior officer kept saying keep your helmets on, stay down. Even if you're getting bit up, don't scratch. And at one point, one of the privates stands up, takes off his helmet and starts scratching. He says, they're all over me. And before he can finish the word all over me, a bullet went through his head. And the superior officer said, I'm telling you this to save your lives. You say, Tim, you're over being overdramatic. I'm telling you that as a pastor, When people come to us as elders and they're experiencing being shot in a spiritual way, if you will, they usually come because they weren't wearing any armor in the process. Let me say that again. When when people come and sin has destroyed their life, not all of them, but for the vast majority, when, when people come and sin is beating them up, I can almost assure you the majority of them have come because they weren't wearing the armor they needed. They weren't uh, pursuing the allies in their lives. And at that moment, it's too late. So that's why Paul says it's a command. It's, It's there. I want you to also notice that when he says put on, there's urgency in the original language. God's command is an urgent one do it and do it now, which begs the question Why this morning is there not an urgency in our own response? He's told us that we are to be at our battle stations and he demands that we we be ready for the fight And so what that means is is that we've got to be submissive For what we got to be doing what we're told Got to follow his command and what that means is we've got to dress for success notice for a moment that we have to wear all of the armor, not parts of it. You see, many of us want to wear the parts of the armor with the battle that we see, and so we fight a reactive war, not a proactive war, and so we see the attack coming, if you will, from the right-hand side, and so we say, well, of course I need, I need armor over here. I don't need it on the left. I only need it on the right? because that's where the enemy is attacking. God understands, and listen, the war is happening in the heavenly realms. We don't see the heavenly realms. God does. And God says, the reason why you need all the armor is because I recognize where the attacks can come from. I recognize that the uh, enemy can flank you at any point in time, and you will be vulnerable on your weak side. And so what the. God of the universe says is because I know where the battle's at because I know how the enemy attacks We need to wear every piece next week. We'll learn about each of those pieces and why they're important But you got to wear all of it Notice also it involves digging in for the battle this armor as we'll learn next week enables us to stand against the schemes of the devil and and Here's the important thing In, in the last Gulf War We had Humvees early in the war that were being shot up and soldiers were being killed because they weren't armored. Because the, the enemy had bullets that could pierce through our Humvees and before our guys could get from one place to the other, they were shot up because the armor that they had was not suitable enough for what the enemy was firing their way. Here's the thing. We don't have a military contractor or a defense contractor uh, putting this stuff together. I want to remind you that at the bottom of this armor, this spiritual armor that God has given us is His name, and His name tells us a couple things. Number one, if He's the manufacturer of this of this armor, then we can rest assured with confidence that there is nothing the devil can throw our way that that armor can't dispel. We can have full confidence in that. We can have full confidence in this armor that God has called us to put on. Listen, the in, in, in infinite and infallible God will not tell us to put on something only for it to let us down. Does that make sense? To do that, God would be a liar, and God says He does not lie. to, To do that, God would have to be mistaken and God doesn't make mistakes. And so because we believe in the absolute authority and supremacy of God in all things, that when God says put on armor, the armor that we put on that has his name on it will be equal to the task when the battle rages on. There's no chinks in the armor. There's no Achilles heel. When God tells us to put on something, there's a guarantee it will stand the test of time. So, that means if you and I are being inflicted with injuries in the spiritual battle, it isn't the armor's fault. It's that we're not wearing it. But it also tells us, listen, that if you are standing strong in this fight, you cannot hold your head up high and say, look at me, look how strong I I am, because the strength comes from God, the armor comes from God, and that's the only reason why you and I stand strong amidst trials and temptations. That leads to one final command. And the one final command is be strategic. Notice in verse 13, Paul starts talking strategy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. We'll address some of this text later in the next 2 weeks, but let's talk about some of it here. Look at verse 11. To stand firm, we have to know the plans of the enemy. This means that as believers, we need to use our minds that God has given us as well as be students of scripture to understand how the devil is going to operate. But what do we need to be strategic about? Notice he gives an important understanding of what we must be aware of. First of all, we need to be aware of the schemes of the devil. That word schemes comes from the Greek word where we get our English word methods from. It speaks of rational, logical ideas or plans. This word, when, when, when Paul says that we will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, speaks of the devil's plans or methods being purposeful and organized. Let me make this point for us to ponder for a moment. Number one, it tells us that there is a limit to the schemes of the devil. What that means is the devil has a limited arsenal to fight against you, okay? God knows what they are, and we need to be aware of them. And we need to recognize that the schemes that the devil has are common to man, They're common to us. I'm going to bring you some encouragement this morning, and with some encouragement, also some embarrassment. Let's do the encouragement first. The the temptations and sins and evils that are facing you in your life are things that you and I have seen and our forefathers and foremothers have seen for centuries. Let me explain. Here's the encouragement. Person here at Village Bible Church struggling with lust. It's plaguing you. It's eating you up. Take heart. It's the same lust that affected and disheartened great people like David and Samson. Same same fight. Devil's using that one. It works. It's a good weapon for him. For those who struggle with doubt, your doubt is the same doubt of Thomas after Easter Sunday. For those of you who struggle with calling and and sitting on the sidelines instead of engaging in the ministry God has called you to, you you are struggling with the same struggle that Moses did when he said his stuttering problem was, was too big for God to use, For those who struggle with bitterness or discontentment growing in your life, you're no different than the children of Israel were wandering around in the wilderness. What I'm here to tell you is whatever sin, whatever temptation is in your life, I want you to recognize you're not the first person the devil's used that trick on. It's not like, okay, Tim, man, he's really a tough foe. I'm gonna bring something that nobody else has seen before. What that tells me, listen, is that the devil is not in scheming up new ways to attack us his schemes his purposes are the same okay here's the embarrassment so be encouraged you're not alone in this the devil will tell you the lie that he will tell you is you're the only one dealing with it right you're the only one that has that problem so feel pretty junky about it because no other person has especially not at Village Bible Church. Everybody at Village Bible Church is all put together, right? Liars, now move on, okay? We're all struggling with these things. And they're the same things that the people in this word were struggling with. And here's the embarrassment. God has written us a book. And this book is so unbelievably honest. Great men and women of the faith falling so terribly to unbecoming sins in their lives. You could have seen them coming a mile away and you sit there, if you're like me, you read it and say, David, don't do that. Don't you know what that sin's gonna do? Samson, don't go that way. And I'm like yelling at them. Here's the embarrassment. I've got their example. I've got the rest of their story. And I do the same thing. Is that like you? You read this and you're like, I get it. Don't do that, and then the next day I go do the very thing I read about and said I wasn't going to do it, and the embarrassing thing is we have the word, we have the example of men and women, we have the example of what their disobedience did, how the lies of the devil came back to haunt them, and yet we find ourselves living in them. Now, you say, okay, Tim, his schemes are logical, they are. The devil uses schemes, and his schemes are pretty standard schemes, immorality, persecution. He loves using things like depression in our lives to get us down about our faith, questioning whether we're saved or not, all of that. I mean, the devil, if you look at examples within the Bible, you're gonna see the devil's attacks over and over again. Here's the thing. You say, "If Tim, if it was that easy, I'd find more victory. The devil loves it right now because of the dawning of all kinds of new things that we use to invent ways of doing evil. So why is it seemingly so hard to live a righteous life right now? Because our world is changing. And we can't keep up with all of the mediums that we are using. And they're great. We can use them for God's glory and for for the gospel's sake. But in the same way, the enemy is saying these new inventions, these new opportunities, we are going to use to wreak havoc in the lives of people. And we need to recognize that with every dawning of every invention is an opportunity for the devil to take that and to take the glory away from God and to put it on people for the glory of self, for the pursuit of satisfaction through their own ways. And we're seeing it. In the way of, uh, I've been reading a lot about the um, advent of robotics. And they're saying that, and every sci-fi person here is going to say, I knew it, we're going to be taken over by robots here pretty soon, okay? And they're talking about how manufacturing in in the next 20 years will all be done by, by robots, okay? And then I read in, I think it was the New Yorker magazine, that people in Japan are seeking to create spouses out of robots. It's one thing for robots, listen, to put together our TVs, right? It's another for them to replace a human being as a spouse. And they're saying that the most advancements in robotics has to do with um, artificial intelligence, human beings, robotic human beings, if that's even a word, than it is in manufacturing. Everything that, that may be used for our good, the devil's sitting there and saying, how do I continue to destroy what God has created? And so that's why we're sitting there and we're, the church is always asking the question, where is the devil fighting next? What is the devil using next to try to win this battle? That's why it's important for us to know the schemes of the devil. So let me ask you a question this morning very, very quickly and clearly to you. Imagine for a moment you're in the devil's office and the devil has a filing folder. I don't know if this is true. You'll have to ask the Lord when we get to glory if it is. But just speculate with me for a moment that the devil has a file folder. And you open up that file folder and you see your name. Let me ask you this morning do you know how the devil's attacking you? Do you know what his scheme is for your life? Do you know how he's trying to trip you up? you got to admit it, first of all. you got to admit that there's an area of weakness in your life to be able to say, yeah, I think the devil knows this because I know it myself. I know what's going on in my heart. I know what's going on in my mind. I'll tell you, for parents, it's imperative that you know this. Right now, in the Bedal house, I can say this. They're not here this morning. But in the Bedal house... Mom and dad are looking at our three boys and we're trying to listen to me and I'm being totally serious. We're trying to figure out where the devil's going to try to beat up our boys. And they're not all the same. And what one may struggle with, the other one won't. And we're trying to figure out how do we protect? And I'm telling you if you're asleep at the wheel as a parent, God help you because your kids are going to be play toys for the devil. And that's why you need to be praying for them. That's why you need to be, be the eyes and ears for them. You've got to see how, how they're growing. You've got to see the bent that they have. And you've got to continue to teach them the word of God day and night. And that means you've got to be teaching the word of God to yourself. We've got to help our kids to understand that. And finally, church, your elders need to help you know where the attack is fiercest. We need to make you aware of it. And it's concerning. And some people, you know, people have been asking, you know, oh, what's all this church attendance stuff about? You know, I really, is it that big of a deal? Yeah, it is a big deal. Because here's what we recognize. When you're not around the people of God, for whatever reason, you're not around the people of God, you're by yourself. And what we've come to learn is the devil seemingly attacks a whole lot more when you're by yourself than when you're with other believers. So if you think this issue is just so we can increase numbers and all of that, you've got to be kidding me. What it is, is we are fearful for the church, not only here, but the church of the country, that we would not grow casual amidst the war that's going on because we recognize the devil is roaming around seeking who he may devour. And we want you to be ready for that and be prepared for that. Notice Paul moves on, I gotta close this out. Paul moves on and he shows us the scope of the battle. And I just wanna say something very clearly to the scope. Because I think we as Christians, and I might even add we as, as um, Village Bible Church miss this. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And right now, a lot of us think that people who differ with us are the enemy. That, that those who we call friends on Facebook are the enemy when they put uh, absurd things on their Facebook posts or they revile us for our positions that we have. I want you to also recognize, listen, that the opponent's political party is not the enemy. That doesn't mean you can't disagree with them. That doesn't mean you can't have a different idea of what you think politics should be like. We are not fighting a war against a political party. We're not fighting it against people. We are fighting it against the gates of hell. So be careful that you don't demonize whoever disagrees with you and say they're the devil. They're not the devil. If that person is a human being and lashing out at you, it isn't because that is who they are. It is because that's what their master has told them to do. And so what do we need to do? All that we can with the love of Christ, speaking the truth in love, to rescue POWs from the clutches of the enemy. And so be careful how you respond. And I know it's difficult. Your blood boils. I get it. But the battle is not against flesh and blood. It's being fought in places that our eyes can't even see. The scope of the battle. Finally, the struggle. The ESV says, we do not wrestle. What a great word. We do not wrestle. The idea here is not a large military campaign where you're watching someone else do the fighting. This word wrestle is literally the word that was used in first century of hand-to-hand bloodied combat. You're in a fight. You're not watching Tim do the fighting. You are in the fight with all of us. And notice, it isn't someone else's battle. It's our battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We wrestle not in that way. And so that means some of us right now literally are exhausted from the fight. I always was blown away that old people, and I use the term old in in the sense of being old, that old people always seem to have a greater love for heaven than I did. My grandma always talked about, oh, how glorious it will be to be home with the Lord. I'm like, come on, grandma. It's pretty great down here, isn't it? I'm months, months away from turning 40, months away from 40, okay? Can I tell you something? Grandma's sounding a whole lot wiser. Man, every day I'm here, more and more wrestling, I grow weary. I wake up every morning, got to wrestle some more. Right when I think things are turning around and going for the good, got to wrestle some more. Wrestle, 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 toil, toil, toil. Struggle, struggle, struggle. Man, won't it be glorious and we don't have to do that anymore? Oh, damn, yeah, yeah. American church. Yeah, yeah, it's good, great, Tim. You almost done? Won't it be glorious not to struggle anymore? Amen. Amen. I mean, my goodness. And so here's the question this morning I have for you. And we're gonna close. I've got two minutes before I gotta shut this thing down. I'm gonna ask you to do something you've never done for some time here, okay? And I'm gonna say, I wanna pray for you. And I wanna pray for you specifically. And I'm gonna ask if any of you are struggling this morning. I, I don't need to know the struggle. God knows it. God knows where the battle is fiercest in your life. But if you've come and you're wrestling this morning, you're struggling, quite frankly, you're losing in the battle. I want to remind you, you have allies here. And maybe you're struggling with doubt. Maybe you're struggling with lust. Maybe you're struggling with your mouth. Maybe you're struggling with your th- mind and what you're thinking. Maybe you're involved in a relationship you shouldn't be. Whatever that struggle is, maybe you're just plain casual and you're recognizing that this morning and saying, I need prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand up and I'm just going to have you to stand. Just stand just as you're calling to stand firm. Who needs prayer this morning? who's struggling, okay? And for those who are standing, okay, and I don't think everybody needs to, so don't think I gotta do it. I'm gonna ask you to look around for those that are standing. And I want you, as I lead in prayer, to pray for the people that are around you, to pray for one another. Whether you're standing or not, that you would be praying, let's just take a moment, and let's go to the Lord and ask the Lord to meet us in this battle to give us what we need because he has. The question is, will we use it? So let's pray. Father God, I come before you, and on behalf of your people, we come and we're tired. We come and we we ache, both spiritually and, and physically, because there's a battle going on. Lord, we see in our country the turmoil that seemingly is going on, and it seems as if all the enemy's guns are now turning this way. And it's hard, Lord. Lord, we, we look and, and we have light and momentary trials amidst the, the struggles that Christians are facing across this world. And they're wrestling for you. And Lord, we lift them up in prayer, wrestling for, for the faith that they would not grow weary. And yet, Lord, we come to this moment and we recognize that many of the battles we face are are internal battles, internal struggles. And so for, Lord, for each person that says there's a struggle going on in their life, Lord, I pray that they would humble themselves. Lord, I pray in this moment that they would verbalize to you that struggle, that they would own up to whatever they may be a part of in that struggle. Maybe they've allowed some sin in their lives. Maybe they've uh, dabbled with things they shouldn't. That in this moment, those that that have committed to stand strong for you and, and are struggling would recognize that while the devil's done some work, we've allowed a lot of it in our own lives. That there would be some confession this morning. Lord, I pray that whatever the struggle may be, that these people, that all of us would recognize that greater is he that is in us than that which we're struggling against. And so while it seems like the struggle has caused us great pain, we have one who provides a way of escape. So Lord, I pray that, that each person here would recognize the provision you've given through the cross and the finished work of Christ in the empty tomb. And that by the blood of Jesus and by the words of Jesus and by the work of Jesus we know we can have victory. Lord, I pray for our church that that in a group this big with so many standing there would be a recognition that the devil's a liar when he says we're the only one dealing with that thing. And so, Lord, I pray that this would open up hearts and minds, that we would begin to have conversations with one another about our struggles, about where we're weary, about where we're wrestling. And, Lord, I pray that the devil would not wreak havoc, that in that confession we would gossip and we would judge one another, but that we would help one another through the truth of Scripture, through accountability, through accountability to present one another blameless in your sight. Lord, we need you. We need you because we are not equal in this task. And we praise your name because you are the champion. You are the one where we can find that victory. And so, Lord, I pray as we leave this place, that truth would resonate in our hearts so that when sin and temptation and evil befalls us, when it comes knocking at our door, we will be ready, we will be prepared for whatever the enemy throws our way. Now, Lord, send us off in peace. Lord, send us with your love so that we may fight the good fight and we might do it in your way for your glory. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray all of this. Amen.